Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you, he will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Is your relationship with the church more like dating than it is a marriage? Instead of committing to your church, are you sampling multiple churches hoping to find the perfect combination of traits? In today's episode, Pastor Matt continues his sermon, Picturing Commitment, as he explains three examples of what commitment looks like. Last week, Pastor Matt explained what it meant to be dedicated like a soldier, and today he continues with the examples of being disciplined like an athlete and diligent like a farmer. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, and prepare for your moment of truth. Survey your life. Are the things that you are committed to, are the things that you are giving your life and your time and your focus to, and are those things going to endure to eternity? There's nothing wrong with family time. There's nothing wrong with working on cars. There's nothing wrong with working around the house. There's nothing wrong with taking a vacation. There's nothing essentially wrong with sports. That's not the issue. It's about priority. Do those trivial pursuits exceed your focus on the Great Commission? Does your pursuit of money exceed your pursuit of making disciples? Does your pursuit of leisure exceed the days you spent sharing the gospel? Have you seen more movies than converts? Questions like that that really sting, but they help us. This week, I was so convicted. We need to make sure our trivial pursuits don't become the focus of our life. It's interesting, a young man, right after he joined the Navy, a friend of his was getting married. And he went to his commanding officer and he said, Sir, could I have the weekend to go and be a part of my friend's wedding? I'd like to go and join that. And the commanding officer said, You know what? I'll make that allowance. But I want you back here at 7 o'clock on Sunday. 7 o'clock Sunday night, back on the base. And the young man said, Sir, you don't understand. I'm in the wedding party. And the commanding officer said, No, son, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. It's not about good things and forsaking things that are good. It's about a higher priority. Write down Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Some things are sinful. We need to put those things off. Some things are just not helpful and they keep us from running with effectiveness. Maybe good things that we've made a priority. 
and they're slowing you down. Life is short. I challenge you this week to look around for the weights that are stealing your time that you have left. I challenge you this week to look around in your life and look for the things that are sapping your energy for preaching the gospel to others and sharing the gospel. I challenge you to look around and be rid of good things so that you can do great things. That's what I challenge you to. Maybe for some of us, it's a fast from social media or Facebook or whatever. Maybe for some of us, we need to turn off the TV or close the iPad or and open a Bible. We need to forsake some things so that we can do great things. Now, before we move on, look at the undergirding of verse 4. One last thing about this soldier, his motivation. It says in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is one of the biggest problems with why we're focused on trivial things. It's that we're focused on pleasing someone other than God. Sometimes we're focused on pleasing others. Sometimes we just want to please ourselves. But the goal of life is to please our commander. It's to please God. In fact, write down 2 Corinthians 5.9. You ought to memorize that verse. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, whether we're at home or away, listen to this, we make it our aim to please God. Is it your aim to please God? Or are you just entangled by the world's pursuits? Soldier requires self-denial and submission to please the Lord. Throughout our day, we ought to just stand at attention and say, yes, Lord, what are your commands? What are the things you want me to do? Am I doing the best things? Or am I wasting what little time I have on just good things? Throughout our day, we ought to consider that. Now, there's a second illustration beyond the army. Now, in verse 5, we're going to move from the army to the athlete. And I want you to see this. We need to be dedicated like a soldier, but we also need to be disciplined like an athlete. How many of you, let's just see a show of hands across the room. How many of you in high school or college did athletics or sports? Raise your hand. Awesome. Across the room, we have hands that went up. This passage is linking the Christian life to the discipline of an athlete. You know what that discipline was like. An athlete is not crowned, in verse 5 it says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, Paul was a man, and he must have enjoyed sports. He loved using sports analogies. He does this all the time as well. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do not receive a perishable wreath, but an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now when he says I discipline my body, what he's literally saying is I'm beating it black and blue. I'm working it out. That's the, that's the actual word. I beat it black and blue. I'm getting hard. I'm getting, I'm getting strong. I'm, I'm in strengthening myself. That's the picture here of an athlete. Two things I want you to see. Two things that gets this athlete disciplined. Number one, 
It's the prize. It's the prize. Notice in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned. Crowned. The word for crown here, it's that oak leaf cluster that goes around the winner's head. It's the victory prize. It's the prize of achievement. And what he's saying is that the Christian should be like that athlete who dreams about standing on the block in the victor's circle. That's what the Christian should do. In fact, I challenge you every day this week, I want you to visualize that moment when you will stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and I want you to imagine what he will say about the day that you're about to live. Wow, that's a challenging thought, isn't it? I'm going to give an account for this day. I want the prize. I want the gold medal. We should make it our ambition to live that way every single day of life. What will God say to us on this day? And that helps us to be laser-focused. To not be focused on a promotion. To not be focused on a paycheck. Or to not be focused even on a problem, but on the prize. On the prize. Another thing, not only the crown, not only the prize, but also the rules. Notice in verse 5, it says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now this is a fascinating fascinating section of Scripture. My research this week was astounding. There's three aspects of rules within games, whether it was in Corinth or whether it was in Athens. The Corinthians had the Isthmian games, and they happened every other year. Paul was most certainly there for one of those games. Paul was in Corinth between 50 and 51 AD, and so the games were happening somewhere at that time. But there's also, in Athens, there were the Olympics. And so these measures of athleticism were happening in the culture all the time, but there were rules. And there were three rules that were very specific. Number one, you had to be a citizen. You had to be a citizen competing for your country. You had to. And so citizenship was required. Second, you had to spend 10 months training, exercising, and preparing. They wanted the quality of the athleticism to be through the roof. And this was a rule, a hard, fast rule. You had to spend 10 months training and dieting and exercising. And then the third, you had to stand before a statue of Zeus, and you had to swear that you had kept your diet, you had exercise, you had spent the appropriate amount training, or else you'd be disqualified. Those are the rules. Now, now imagine this is the new diet of our time. Back then, if you were disqualified, there was a fine, a hefty fine, and you also, if it was a major infraction, they would pull you aside and you would be beaten or whipped. Now imagine that if that's our diet standards for today. If you sneak into the pantry around nine o'clock at night, your wife catches you, the next day you get beaten for it, right? I think we would keep our diets. That's the image here. That's the image. Don't disqualify yourself by not keeping the rules. There's a bit of nonsense going around today that you can be a Christian and not be under the lordship and the rules of Christianity. Some people will say, well, we're under God's grace, and what's this about rules? Don't give me a bunch of rules. I like what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, many people define grace as the absence of rules. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Word of God is, among other things, a rule book, but it's a guide for life. 
the Bible contains principles requiring discernment to apply. But it also contains specific precepts, hard and fast rules that must be obeyed without question. Rules like abstain from sexual immorality. Be kind to one another. Husbands, love your wives. Live with one another in, in an understanding way. Love one another. And so Jesus, the giver of grace, says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This isn't legalism. This is how we stay on course through the journey. I think he's right. We have to compete according to the rules. And discipline is giving up something lesser for something greater. And I think that's why we're not disciplined. We don't see the value there. We don't see the gain. We don't see the medal, the prize. We don't understand that concept of cross before crown. But when you discipline yourself to be in your Bible every day, and when you discipline yourself to share the gospel, and when you discipline yourself to be in community and not miss this time, the gathering of the saints, which is commanded in Scripture, and make this place a priority, when you do that, it produces gain when you do those things. God directs us to make it an unwavering discipline to do those things, to not neglect it, and to be sanctified by one another as we meet together. There's gain in discipline. Last point. The final metaphor, and we're done, moves from the army to the athletics, and now we're in agriculture. Army, athletics, agriculture. We need to be diligent like a farmer. We need to be dedicated like a soldier. We need to be disciplined like an athlete. Lastly, we need to be diligent like a farmer. A couple of thoughts and we're done. Verse 6. It says it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The hardworking farmer. Now, I know some farmers and they work hard. There is toil, there is labor, there is strain. In fact, that's what that word hardworking means. How many of you know someone that's in the farming industry? This is the third category. It's hard work. In fact, there are hundreds of obstacles. There's rain, there's bugs, there's weeds, there's drought. It is hard work to be a farmer. In fact, I think the last couple of months have been pretty difficult in this area just to get seed into the ground because it rains so much. It's hard. You're dependent on the weather. But, but notice... Uh, one thing that's different about the farmer's life than these other two professions is, is it's not nearly as exciting, is it? It's like when you plow a, a straight row, there's no one off to the side cheering, right? It's like when you get the crops planted, there's no audience, there's no one else to the side, you know, cheering you on. Great job. It's not nearly as exciting. And also, it requires patience. Being committed means that you need to be like this farmer who's patient, looking for the crop to come up over time and the Lord to bring the harvest. Are you a patient person? Are you patient with the ministry that God's given you? Right before the service, I was talking about a professor at Dallas Seminary, Norman Geisler, and his story. He's one of the great writers of theology from Dallas and a great thinker. And Norm Geisler was an incredible man. But as a child, he went to VBS and his parents were unchurched. As a child, someone brought him to VBS and the bust ministry, which was big in those days, picked him up every Sunday for about 400 Sundays. And if I remember the story right, Sunday after Sunday after VBS, he was a young boy, but by the time he got into high school, on the last day 
of high school, he accepted Christ. Last week, he accepted Christ. And that bus ministry just kept picking him up and kept picking him up. What if the bus driver would have stopped at number 395? Stopped picking him up. This man who's influenced countless generations of theologians. What if he would have stopped? See, our ministry is to be a bit like the farmer. There's an element of patience to it. Never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that story and my need for patience. He's focused on the harvest. He's focused on the reward. He's always looking with an eye to the future. He's constantly looking to the harvest. Verse 6 says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What does that mean? To have the first share of the crops. There's a few options for what that could mean. That could be speaking of the day of future rewards. Maybe that this minister of the gospel who's just faithful and patient and waiting, he'll be one of the first ones to experiencing the blessing of that reward. Maybe so. Maybe so. Another view is that ministers who labor in the gospel, they ought to be taken care of and supported by the work. Certainly 1 Timothy 5, which speaks of double honor and not muzzling the ox, certainly that speaks to that and maybe that's it. I tend to take the third view that this has to do with the experience of blessing in the ministry. I tend to think that for the act of service itself, there's a measure of blessing in the ministry itself that's there for those who are in the ministry and doing the ministry. You know, I think about this sermon, and this week I've lived with this sermon all week long, and it's been such a challenge to me and such a blessing to me. And I receive this blessing way before you do. I'm the first to experience it. When you go out and you share the gospel and someone comes to faith, you're the first one to experience the blessing and the joy of that person coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You get to be the first one to experience that. I think there's a joy in that. My friend Dave Doyle, who pastored in an office right next to me, would often come to my office door and he'd knock on it and he'd say this line like, hey, can you, can you believe they're paying us to do this? Like, this is great. We get to pastor. This is living the dream. We just rejoice in that. There's a joy to pastoral ministry. There's a joy to doing the ministry. Friends, you and I need to grab a hold of that. It's the same for all of us. When we labor in gospel ministry, when we share the gospel with someone else, you get the first harvest of receiving and rejoicing as they come to faith. There's joy in that, and we need to experience that. How do we apply this today? How do we apply this text? Well, verse 7 gives us, and it's a great verse for Bible study. In verse 7, it says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. There's two elements there. There's dwelling on biblical truth, and then there's the illumination and the application of the Spirit of God of that biblical truth. And that's what I want to end with right now. I want to just give you some questions, and maybe you just write these down consider these this week. I'm sure there's more applications than what I'm about to give you, but just consider these things. Number one, what priorities in my life need to be examined and exchanged? That's the question I would ask you to ask this week. Let's just be honest. Help yourself. Think about the day of reward. Think about the day when you stand before Christ and then ask this question, what things am I currently doing that may be good things, but they're not the best things for the time that I have left? 
Do you have that desire to please God? Do you have that passion for the service unto God and commitment to Him? Or are you more committed to leisure or hobbies or other pursuits? The second question I want you to ask, as we think about that day when we will stand before the Lord, what will He say? I want you to ask this question, am I currently disciplined and competing according to the rules? I think that's clear. Even as I say that, is there a sin that the Lord is bringing to your mind and saying, you're out of line with the rules right now? You have an office relationship that is immoral right now. Right now, you have a sin with that computer. You're not competing according to the rules. What does the Lord bring in your mind when I say that right now? You've not lived with your wife in an understanding way. What is it that you need to change so that you'll be competing according to the rules and you'll be disciplined so that you can do this ministry faithfully? Are you committed to the body of Christ? You know, it is. It's a discipline to be in this place. Sunday after Sunday. There's 4-H and there's all sorts of things. Life is busy, isn't it? It is. But God has given us His guidelines to be with the people of God continually, routinely. He's laid it out. He's commanded it. Where is it in your life that you're not competing according to the rules? Third, write this question down. Maybe for some of us, the Lord is just saying, keep serving like that farmer in faithfulness. Are you tempted to give up? Are you tempted to throw in the towel? The Lord is saying, be patient. Don't give up on that coworker. Don't give up on that family member. Don't give up on that prodigal son. You keep praying. You keep doing that ministry. Don't you give up on your calling. Be like the farmer who is faithful and he waits and you don't give up. You depend on the Lord and your friends, even if they don't stand with you, you stand and you don't give up. And the last question and we're done. Maybe you're here today but you're not really a citizen at all. You're not saved. You're not born again. Do you need to become a Christian today? Do you need to start running this race right now? Maybe you're not in the army. You're not in the race. You're not in the field. You need to be saved. And this is the Gospel that you must believe. You need to recognize that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's law. You need to admit that. And to be saved, you need to understand that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to take your punishment and to rise from the dead for your sin. And you need to repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn away from what you were trusting in and place your faith in Christ. And when you do that, God will make you His soldier. Let's pray together. There is a cost to committing like a soldier, like an athlete, and like a farmer. There's a high price. But that price is actually a bargain when you think about it. Because the pain of discipline is difficult. The pain of discipline is hard. But I want to tell you this, church, the pain of regret is worse. Some of us will come to the end of this very short life 
with the realization that we've wasted our life on good things, but we miss the best things. I love you. I don't want that to be the case for you. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response. So he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com live to find out more. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's word being sent out, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.